Hello and welcome to Double Stint at Le Mans, a special edition of Double Stint brought to you by Sports Car 365, bringing you daily coverage of all the action at the Circuit de la Sarthe leading up to Sports Car Racing's greatest event, the 24 Hours of Le Mans. I'm joined today by Sports Car 365 Editor-in-Chief John DeGeese, who's been trackside at Le Mans this week. John, how was your very busy Friday? Yeah, um, very busy is a great way to describe it. Um, there's more off-the-track news always on the, the day before the 24 Hours of Le Mans, and this year was no different. Well, plenty to talk about, and this week is all about Le Mans, but you can still find recaps and news of everything happening in the sports car racing world on sportscar365.com. Today we'll bring you a recap of the ACO press conference, bring you some of the headlines and stories we're following, as well as giving you a preview of the big race, the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Well, let's jump right in. We'll recap practice briefly. We saw free practice four, the final practice running, condensed to two hours. Uh, everyone had a last shot to get their mandatory night laps in. We saw Michael Fassbender get back in the car. He did uh, two six-lap stints back-to-back, get a little bit of confidence back after that big crash. Uh, the number 45 Algarve Pro car did a great job to get itself back on track. We saw a little bit of contact, some argy-bargy between Antonio Felix da Costa and the number three DKR engineering team. No big dramas, though, uh, but the results were as expected. Toyota led 1-2 ahead of both Glickenhouses and the Alpine. And that brings us to today's big event, the ACO press conference, and we got a lot of new information about GT3, a little bit of news about uh, LMP2. Uh, but let's start, John, talking about GT3. We know that uh, now it's confirmed that GTE Pro will be phased out after 2022, being replaced by GTE AM, and then eventually just GT3. Yes. Um, so that was kind of expected, although we weren't 100% sure. Um, ACO President Pierre Fion previously told us that if they had four cars committed for next year, they would keep GTE Pro alive for one final year. Um, unfortunately, that's not the case. So um, this is the final Lama with all pro GT driver lineups for the time being, because starting next year, as you said, it'll be just GTE AM in 23. And then in 24, we'll have the new GT class, which will be based on GT3 cars. And we knew that already. They announced that last year, but we got more details today about what that will actually consist of. And I think the key word there is this thing called a GT3 premium kit. It's basically an aero kit that each manufacturer will have to produce um, that'll change the aerodynamic look, um, the bodywork on these GT3 cars to make it look, quote unquote, more premium, more upscale, according to ACO and FIA figures that we spoke to um, following the ACO press conference today. Um, it's received a bit of mixed rea reaction so far from manufacturers. Um, we have a story on Sports Car 365 from head of Porsche Motorsport, Thomas Laudenbach. Um, he personally doesn't feel that there's a need for it. He thinks that GT3 cars are already premium enough as they are. Um, this is the ACO's and FIA's way of trying to differentiate uh, this class from other GT3 championships all around the world. Um, we'll have to see really what comes of it, but it's certainly making for some quite interesting reactions here in the paddock. Yeah, I was really surprised kind of the immediacy that uh, people had reacting to it. And 
from my perspective, it looks like while many high school car enthusiasts may love the body kits on the cars, it seems like many of the manufacturers are not super jazzed about it. And it seems a little interesting, too, because cost-effectiveness was a big highlight throughout the presentation of making GT3 affordable, and yet here's a body kit that's going to cost anywhere from uh, 50 grand to 100 grand in, in pounds, and that translates similarly to U.S. dollars, and, and that's just more cost. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and I, I understand where the, where the FIA and ACO are going with this. You know, they want to make it a little different than all these other GT3 championships. I understand this is a world championship. There's an allure there, but something like this hasn't gone over quite well in other championships that have tried to do something similar. Um, just a few years back when DTM transitioned from class one regulations to GT3, they were looking at making the so-called GT3 plus for, for that um, series where there would be more, the cars would be more powerful and perhaps some other changes, modifications, perhaps with the bodywork as well. And all the manufacturers basically vetoed it. And we're back in DTM where that's a standard GT3 car. Um, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here. I, I think um, the ACO is perhaps a, a bigger organization, especially when involving the FIA with this as, as their partnership in, in the WEC. I, I think that we are probably going to see this, but at the end of the day, it probably will limit manufacturer participation. Um, one thing's to be clear, there's no factory teams allowed in this GT class. Um, I spoke to FIA Endurance Commission President Richard Mill, and he indicated that um, privateers are only allowed in this class that'll be most likely called LMGT. So it's almost a reversal of GTLM, what was called in the WeatherTech Championship. So um, we'll have to see what happens there. Um, this is all still a lot of fresh information, just hours after the press conference as we're recording this. So um, interesting times for sure. Um, we do at least have further details on this new single GT class for 24. Um, like I said, it's going to be pro-am enforced, at least one bronze rated driver in the lineup, uh, most likely a silver mandate as well, similar to what we see with GTE AM today. Um, and teams like Corvette Racing will not be allowed as a factory entity to compete. Um, we reached out to Corvette for a comment. They politely declined. Um, they need some time to process this to figure out what their next move is. But for a team that's been going to Le Mans for over 20 years as a factory effort, um, this is quite a uh, interesting development on that end as well. Yeah, and we'll we'll allow Corvette a little bit of grieving time on this one before they yeah. uh, before they comment. We had some news as well for the next generation of LMP2 cars, which will be introduced in 2025 after the delay. They will be managed by a bi-yearly adjustment of performance, or AOP, not quite the balance of performance, BOP, that we're used to seeing in the GT cars. Yeah, so this is coming, like you said, in 25. Um, AOP is adjustment of performance, so it's not balance of performance. Um, this is a similar method that they use in LMP3, where um, they can adjust uh, up to twice a year. Um, I spoke to Richard Mill about that as well, and he indicated that um, it, it would be done at the beginning of the season and then post-LOMA, most likely, if there is a need. Um, this basically will help eliminate a lopsided advantage for one of the four constructors. We've seen the LMP2 class currently dominated by Orica over the last year. This year's field of 27 LMP2 cars, 26 of them are Oricas um, for tomorrow's race, only one Liget in the field, and now no representation from Delara or Multimatic. Um, so this is the, uh, the ACO and FI's way of trying to uh, uh, help keep diversity in, in the class. And I think this is a real, real smart move 
um, implementing this kind of rule in the in the class for the new regulations coming in 25. It's certainly um, going to be a good step in the right direction. In regards to hybrid, we have a bit of a mixed message on that. They said during the press conference that it was a possibility for the future, yet ACO President Pierre Fion downplayed that when talking to our Dan Lloyd um, after the press conference. It sounds like they're basically keeping the option open for hybrid in the future because these rules are good from 2025 through 2030. And you know who knows what the auto industry is going to look like by 2030. Um, there was a lot of news over here in Europe um, this week that the EU is um, restricting new car sales of in internal combustion engines um, by 2035. They basically want to go all electric by then. That's huge news for the auto auto industry. So who knows what can happen in just a couple of years? I think that the idea is to maybe have a similar spec hybrid system. Um, to what we see is being developed in LMDH, maybe something cheaper, a little less powerful um, that could potentially be added onto these cars in the future. I think similar to IndyCar, actually, with their next-gen car, I, I believe it could be something similar to that. So um, we'll have to see how all that develops over the coming weeks. Well, the good news is we still have a little bit of time before 2025, and all of that can be ironed out. And as you said, you know, developing some kind of hybrid system in tandem with some of the LMDH teams uh, certainly could be a way to do it uh, cost-effectively. Some other news, uh, we're seeing some BOP changes. We'll start off with Hypercar, the fourth BOP adjustment this season for Alpine. And it looks like they just want to kind of balance things out after Alpine had a very, very strong performance in Hyperpole. Yeah, uh, 10 kilowatt power reduction for the grandfathered LMP1 car. Um, also a reduction in megajoules and energy allowance um, for the car for the race. So this literally just came through as we're recording this. Um, also, uh, we had a BOP adjustment in GTE Pro and AM for that matter with the Ferrari um, gaining some power back from its previous BOP change earlier in the week. So um, lots going on here in terms of some late pre-race balance of performance changes. Um, typically, we've seen this in, pre, in years past. I think a couple of years ago, we didn't have a change after qualifying, but um, this time around, there's changes to, two, to three of the four classes, that is. Yeah, and this will be interesting for for Alpine and their strategist because, you know, you would think that after Hyperpole, they would have gotten on the strategy computer and started to look at different scenarios given where their performance was. And now all of that has to go out the window and uh, adjust for a, a slightly slower car now. How does that factor in? We know that Alpine doesn't really have any kind of advantage pit stop wise given the smaller fuel tank and things like that. And we know that Toyota and Glickenhaus can run longer. Uh, so this certainly makes things a little trickier for them tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. And especially with only one session before the race, we have a warm-up session tomorrow morning that doesn't give them a lot of time. It's probably only a handful of laps to, to see what the car will perform um, with this reduction. Personally, I'm not a fan of these kind of changes in the middle of an event. And This is the third BOP change when you count the Ferrari change as well. Third BOP change this week. So that's quite unprecedented, actually. I don't can't remember a time we've had so many changes over the course of race week at Le Mans. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. We've really seen it take pretty much this whole week to try to iron out the performance for the Alpine and the Ferraris. Yeah, it's been interesting because, you know, obviously we've had a lot of running. It's all been dry running. Um, there's no rain in the forecast for the race. So it looks like, you know, there's been a lot of data from all these teams and, and, and competitors, but still uh, some changes being made. I, I, at the same time, I, I understand why there's changes. And obviously, you know, we're still 
coming off of a compressed event schedule with the test day last weekend, typically there's always a week in between the test day and the race. So I can't blame the, the folks at the ACO and FIA because they're doing as best of a job as possible given these adjustments and, and given the time crunch we're in. But um, it doesn't make it any easier for the, the competitors when there's changes made on the eve of the, the biggest race of the year. And remember, you can find full recaps and updates of everything we've talked about today and more on sportscar365.com. Let's move into talking about some of the news of the week, uh, and we will lead off with Ferrari teasing, and I really do mean just teasing, one single picture of their LMH car. It is a a dark photo that really just shows a little bit of the headlights and maybe a, a tiny glimpse of the front splitter, but still exciting to see something of the Ferrari LMH nonetheless. Yeah, um, barely anything, have to admit. Um, we had all the unveils the last couple, last week or so um, between the LMDH cars from Acura, um, Cadillac, BMW, and now an LMH car with Ferrari. Um, like you said, we could sort of see a glimpse of the headlights, the Ferrari um, badge on the nose, and um, two Ferrari badges, that is, and then a little bit of the splitter about the, the photo, the image of the render on Sports Car 365 for more. But that's all we have right now. Um, we know the car is going to be rolled out for the first time at Fiorano next month. Um, that's really the only other concrete information we have at this time on this project. But nonetheless, it's still very exciting. Um, Ferrari's returned to top-level um, sports car competition. It's been a long time coming. It's going to bring a lot of interest and, and a lot of headlines. So um, it's quite fitting they've done this unveil here during Lama week, of course. Um, but... I, I think everybody would have liked to see a little bit more, but, um, you know, they're holding their cards close to them, and I have to give respect to them for doing that. Absolutely. The one thing you can see, it is unmistakably a Ferrari front end, and I think that's been one of the coolest things to see with all of these reveals is just how manufacturers have really taken the regulations and the design and the aero packages and made them their own. And each of these cars is is unmistakably from the manufacturer that's making them. Yeah, that's the beauty of the LMH and LMDH regulations. There's a lot of options in terms of styling cues and, and design features, uh, like we talked about yesterday with the Cadillac. Um, I, I think we'll probably get very similar uh, outcomes with the Ferrari once it's fully revealed. After Felipe Chiodomo was denied the chance to continue running this week at Le Mans, Nick DeFries has come in to take his place at TDS Racing X Viante. Giadomo was prohibited from continuing throughout the weekend by the stewards and race director uh, for, quote, the safety of himself and the other competitors. He caused a messy incident in FP1, nearly caused another crash on pit lane, and then had a huge incident and a huge collision with the concrete barrier out of karting when he lost control going wheel-to-wheel with another LMP2 car through traffic. Really a, a sloppy and messy incident. Luckily, he was okay. The car was not. TDS Racing had to bring in a new chassis and rebuild it. But for the 62-year-old bronze driver, his week at Le Mans is over. Yeah, that was quite a development um, last night, right around midnight when the when the bulletin came in that he was no longer uh, allowed to race. I think that's the first time in in my time covering the 24 Hours of Le Mans I've seen something like that. There's obviously been drivers who have been ruled out of the race due to injury or a concussion or something like that from an accident. And um, we just had that last year, I think, with um, Dwight Merriman, and that ended up with the withdrawal of that, that entry there. But um, this one with TDS... Um, is quite unprecedented, I'd have to say. Bringing in a guy like Nick DeVries, who's a Toyota reserve driver on their hypercar program. He's the reigning ABB Formula E world champion. He's very well qualified. And this actually puts this car in a really good chance of 
um, potential honors uh, going for the win in, in LMP2. It initially was in the LMP2 Pro-Am class, and now it's being moved up to the regular LMP2 class um, because of the driver combination in that lineup. Um, the team has rebuilt the car around a new tub, so um, everything should be good to go tomorrow morning for warm-up. Yeah, this may end up turning into a, a situation that works out really beautifully for TDS Racing. Yeah, absolutely. Josh Pearson has been re-signed already by United Autosports for 2023, and before Le Mans' youngest ever debutante has even started the race, he's already got a contract for next year. Yeah, uh, another interesting development this week. Um, he's only two races into his World Endurance Championship campaign, and now he's already signed on with United again for next year. We don't know what his driver rating will be. If he does really well um, this year as a silver, he could be upgraded to gold. And that could be quite interesting to see how all that works out in terms of the driver combinations next year. Um, United Autosports has not confirmed who his co-drivers will be for that very reason. Um, like you said, he's going to become the youngest driver to take part in the 24 Hours of Le Mans tomorrow at 16 years, 118 days old. So um, breaking Matt McMurray, who uh, another American who um, hold currently holds that record back from 2014, I believe. So uh, interesting stuff. And um, um, it's great to see him back with United. Usually we don't get these kind of announcements in the middle of the year, but um, still nonetheless, uh, uh, interesting piece of news today. Yeah, and United Autosport showing a lot of confidence in this very talented young driver. As we mentioned, one at Sebring already showing a lot of promise, and uh, now with maybe a little bit of a pep in his step heading into his first Le Mans. The starting drivers were announced for tomorrow's 24-hour race. Sitting on the pole position in the number eight, it'll be Sebastian Buemi leading his teammate Mike Conway down to turn one. In the third-placed Alpine, it'll be Nicolas Lapierre, who had a tremendously successful qualifying in the 709 Glickenhaus, it'll be Frank Milieu ahead of the 708 of Olivier Plois. Let's give you a preview of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. While there is no track running today on Friday, we will see the 24-hour race start up at 4 p.m. local time tomorrow. There will be a morning warm-up session at 10.30 a.m. local time. Just 15 minutes, though, to really shake down the car uh, and get ready for the 24 hours. Yeah, and that's going to be crucial, like we said, for a couple teams. Um, the, all the Ferrari runners with their uh, reconfigured um, turbo boost, um, also the Alpine, like we said, and also the LMP2 teams rebuilding from the accidents on Thursday. So um, only a few laps they're going to be able to get in with the 15-minute session. It used to be a 45-minute session a few years ago, um, no longer the case. So it would be interesting to see how that goes. And then we're um, into the pre-race festivities and then into the, the race itself, like you said, at 4 p.m. local time here in Le Mans. Yeah, and Toyota are now level with Audi for the second most pole positions all time at Le Mans with eight. Still uh, quite a way back, though, from Porsche, who leads with 19 overall pole positions. But Toyota certainly making a case for themselves yesterday in Hyperpole. Kazuki Nakajima will deliver the Le Mans trophy to the starting grid in Saturday's pre-race ceremonies. Uh, he's a three-time winner. Uh, he's a Toyota GR Europe vice chairman, and he'll drive down in a Toyota 85C, which is pretty sweet. It was driven by his father, Satoru, in 1985. Yeah, uh, there's always this pre-race ceremony where the, the trophy is sort of handed over uh, on the grid, and um, Toyota's obviously been victorious the last couple of years, so it's uh, cool to see this this tradition continuing for that. Um, I think looking into the race itself, it's really Toyota's race to lose. Um, Glickenhaus has shown pace, you know, we've, we've seen that over the course of the week, Alpine as well. But like I've said, um, the stint length issue is going to be a problem for Alpine Glickenhaus. They're going to need problems from Toyota. 
Um, they haven't been perfect all season in the WEC, so we'll have to wait and see. But um, certainly there's going to be some excitement in, in the hypercar class for sure. I know it's a terrible thing to do to ask for a prediction mm. for a 24-hour race, but I'm going to do it anyway. What are your thoughts uh, for hypercar at least? I'll say one of the Toyotas. Um, let's just go with the seven car. I, I, it's almost a 50-50 chance. You know, it's probably going to be a case of maybe potentially hitting some setbacks or some dramas. Um, like I said, it hasn't been a perfect season for Toyota. So I, I fully expect some drama to happen and it's probably going to impact the, the outcome of the race at some stage. I completely agree with you. I'm going to be a little bit bold and say it's going to be a Toyota win and a Glickenhaus P2 um, mm. and maybe another Toyota P3. But I got to think with the way this weekend's been going, uh, we may see some reliability issues uh, with one of the Toyotas. And I think Glickenhaus is sitting in a good position to take advantage if something like that does happen. I, I would agree with you, Jonathan, because it's with the forecast of, of no rain, it's going to be a flat out race. And these cars are going to be pushed to their maximum. I, I think we're certainly going to see um, some reliability issues from that standpoint. And, um, you know, I was asking earlier in the week if maybe an LMP2 could potentially be on, be on the overall podium. I think that's a possibility as well, um, looking at it. Absolutely. We always see the, the first couple hours in 24-hour races. Everyone tends to treat it like a sprint race. So yeah. you never know what can happen at the top. We saw turn two collision last year between the Glickenhauses and Toyota. So who's to say it won't happen again? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're certainly all excited for the 90th running of the 24 Hours of Le Mans, and we'll be watching it right there alongside you. Thank you so much for joining us throughout this whole week for these daily special edition Double Stint at Le Mans episode. We've had a blast making them, and we hope you've enjoyed listening to them. We'll be back next week for a recap in our regularly scheduled programming where we'll give you uh, a breakdown of everything that happened at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Thank you so much to Daniel Lloyd, Davey Ovama, and John DeGeese for their incredible and diligent coverage throughout the whole week, both on the website and here on the show. I'm Jonathan Grace. We'll see you next time. This has been a special edition of Double Stint at Le Mans.